to Serpent Temple Weekly Review Episode 2. This week we're going to be looking at three albums. The first one is going to be Converges, Jane Doe, released in 2001. The second one is going to be the Obscure Sphinx album Epitaphs, released in 2016. And the third will be by Frog Lord. The album is called Save the Frogs, released in 2021. Is it Converge or Converge? <laughs> I think it depends on your mood, really. <laughs> I'll go for Converge. converge. Um, you, you can go first on Converge, because I've got a lot I want to say about that album. It's going to be very rambly. The main thing I feel about Converge is I think they should do a con called the Converge Con. Or convert, like they should just do like some Convergicon, Convergicon. Convergicon, Convergicon. Convergicon. They could do like a Digimon crossover. (laughs) It would be really interesting. I think they should totally do that. Um, (laughs) You're so unimpressed. (laughs) (laughs) I did did introduce our man behind the camera, Shem Lucas, and this is my co host, Floyd. Hello, Um, hello. Hello. You all care about our names, I'm sure. Um, So, yeah, Jane Doe. I think, so I'm not, I didn't come into this as a big Converge fan. Um, it was really, I really liked listening to albums that um, I'm not necessarily so clued up on about the band. I obviously know they're an incredibly important band. Um, and that they basically were like instrumental in shaping the sound of their genre. And I, I watched a really interesting talk on YouTube that some people who, who are fans or aren't might like to, to watch. It's with Kurt Ballou and it's at the um, University of Berkeley, Berkeley College of Music, California. And they have like an entire lecture about how they made the album. And it's really interesting. I'm sure you're going to have loads of cool stuff to say about that. So I feel like we all watched it before yeah. this episode. And they talk about writing the album and the way they constructed all the songs. And the thing I think I personally like the most as a lyricist is that there's a huge, um, not huge, but there are minor differences between what's actually sung and what's written down in the lyrics. And it's supposed to reflect what the album's about, which is like the breakdown of a relationship. Yeah. Which I think is like, for a lot of people, a very relatable thing. This idea, this feeling of like a chaotic breakdown of communication, of like losing losing your sense of deep understanding with someone. I mean, there's like there's a line in the album where he's talking about like killing his best friend, sitting down every night with his best friend and killing them. Yeah. And like I've got I've read it down in my little notebook. Um, but yeah, like I really love the way they've done how the lyrics throughout the whole album just have this sense of like mystery of like who is this woman and at the end as well where he's like he's talking about searching the streets with bedroom eyes and he's like just dying to be saved run on girl run on and you're like is that Jane Doe or is that is that the next Jane Doe is he warning girls about who he's become and what he's gone through like the trauma he carries which I think is something um I've talked to a lot of people who feel the same and as someone I feel everyone's got that big breakup like that great love that they lose. And they, they go through this mourning process of like, of like not knowing who you are after a relationship and like trying to grasp onto what you've lost with the other person and where you begin and they end. And this idea of the phoenix as well, which is something that the album begins to end with. End with. The last song is Jane Doe, and you've got Phoenix Rising, and then... You've got Phoenix, uh, phoenix in Flight, That's and then you've got Phoenix in Ashes. That's it, yeah. Flames. Flames. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, it's such a beautiful song. Yeah. Like the whole, like musically, I should talk about the music first before the lyrics really. Musically, it's chaotic. It's like you described it as lightning in a bottle. Yeah. And I totally agree with that. It's like a beautiful, it's a really easy way of, of like describing that music. I, I'm not like an expert in, in the genre of, of like 
it's hardcore, right? It's well, it's really interesting because what's cool about Converge and especially mm -hmm. with the Jane Doe album, mm -hmm. this is like a really early blueprint of metalcore that kind of okay. before metalcore became like really Gothenburg infused mm -hmm. kind of very verse chorus verse chorus like yeah. you had a slew of bands that were really did were metalcore in the truest sense that they were combining the uh, kind of like the the grit of the hardcore punk scene with like some of the more metal sensibilities and like and that's what I love about Converse like they're, cause they're really good at kind of portraying that kind of raw punk attitude with just the uh, just with the aggressiveness and the actual heavy distortion yeah. of metal, and it's it's funny because like the first time I bought uh, Jane Doe, maybe like a year after it was released, about two thousand and two, and like and it was too chaotic for me to begin with. Like it was just really fucking heavy, and I was like, this is just insane. And even the vocal delivery, and it's funny how you mentioned like the lyrics like being slightly different from what's being like um, sung, because like I use the term sung loosely. <laughs> But like it's it's almost impossible to follow the lyrics when you're listening to the music because it's just so fucking. He's just barking it like an absolute. It just sounds like it's a deranged dog. You can tell he's in pain. Yeah. He's like having a breakdown. The way he's like phrasing everything is really interesting to me. Yeah. Yeah. But it's um it's just really cool because like it's it's interesting to hear sort of metalcore in its infancy because it really has changed so much over the years because. You had bands like Vision of Disorder, uh, Botch, and Converge, who were like really early metalcore bands that were really more coming from the hardcore punk scene, and then it developed with like Killswitch into something which was just so much more, um, you know, sanitized. I would say, you know, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, a lot of like Gothenburg in flames, soil work inspired leads, and then now, like, I don't know if any of you have listened to metalcore these days, but it is. Can't. <laughs> I, I don't know what metalcore is. Well, the thing is, it's always changed, and now it's evolved again. Okay. And it's funny, the funny thing about metalcore is it starts off, it's just become progressively more sanitised. There's been, like, three stages. Oh. The first stage was where it was, like, with bands like Converge, or Converge, <laughs> just had more, more the, the hardcore sensibilities, and then it evolved into something that was more akin to, say, melodic death metal. Okay. But now it's become fused with, like, new metal and even pop punk. No! And it's like, yeah, I mean, you listen to bands like, uh, I'm not even going to profess to be a big Architects fan or I uh, don't know much about so their music. So they come from, I had no, I thought Converge, like, Converge spawned, like, heavier bands than that. No, they did too. Like, is, is Carbomb, are they a modern, like... Sound human anymore to me. It just sounds like a guy 
that I went to school with that did too much drugs. Yeah. No offense. <laughs> to any of those guys I went to school, they were really lovely guys. But like, it just reminds me of teenagehood in a not nice way. Of like something you hear at a disco when no one wants to talk to each other and you're in the corner. Yeah. Well, it's like, yeah, because it's sort of music that can. Because, like, I'm not being funny, but, like, if you would show someone, say, an album by, let's take The Ghost Inside, a modern metalcore band, show them a, a song from them, show them a converge song, there is elements of modern music and even pop music that would mm -hmm. be immediately accessible in The Ghost Inside music mm -hmm. that people who aren't so involved in the metal or the heavy music realm would be able to get into. But it's like, I'm not being funny, but like, I was into heavy music before I listened to Converse Jane Doe. Yeah. The first time I listened to it, I was just like, the fuck is this? I was like, this shit is just off the wall heavy. And like, to be honest, it's actually got even elements of grindcore in it, yeah, I find. Which I is like, you know, there's just some of it is just so erratic. And some of the song lengths, you know, like one minute, 40 seconds, and it's just blistering riffs. And it's got elements of crust riffs in there. There's some rock and roll style riffs in there, which are really cool. I think it's really cool to hear a band. I think they were one of the first bands I heard anyway that took even like a, a, a the blueprint of a standard rock riff and make it super super hyper aggressive. Because mm. before that, you know, you could easily distinguish between say like a Slayer riff and say a Led Zeppelin riff. Whereas like Converge had done a really good job of like just creating this melon pot of loads of different styles into one like super cohesive aggressive. Yeah, I'm really, um, I love that. I can't believe it came out in 2001 because I didn't listen to Converge until this year because I came into metal through death metal yeah. and like more head, like heavier stuff and I, I always thought Converge sounded completely different. Um, yeah. So when I listened to them, I was like, these guys are really good. Yeah. And I, I never really delved properly into them. It's one of those bands I've been meaning to for a while because yeah. I, I know they've got a whole body of work that needs to be fully explored to like... Yeah everything in context where I think you guys could easily do, whereas I'm just like, it's really fucking good. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, like, I'm really surprised that a heavy album like that has spawned much lighter, more accessible bands, because I feel like usually it's the other way around. You've got more accessible bands turning, like spawning weird fucking other bands that are inspired. Yeah, it's, I, I, I think what that is is just the general snowball effect you see in a lot of music anyway. Like, because for every band that listened to Converge and heard like the more aggressive, even you know death metal grindcore sensibilities that were in place, they would have took influence from that and went on to create something that was heavy. Mm -hmm. But for every other person would have listened to a song like say Phoenix in Flight, which is quite sore and then melodic. That's a really good point. Yeah. And you listen to like a few of the tracks, like uh, I think one of them is Heaven in Their Arms and uh, mm -hmm. The Broken Bow. They've got some. If you listen to it closely, there's some absolute like blueprint, like second wave metalcore riffs there. Like you listen to that and it's like, this sounds like sort of early Killswitch or early God Forbid, who are another great early metalcore band. And um, yeah, it's just really interesting to see the, the progression and how they have so many elements in one album. Yeah, it's just such a, just such a beast. I, just, I love it. I, I think it's a great album. It's a banger. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And like a point I want to pick up, because you were talking about the lyrics about it being a breakup. Yeah. And I think one of the things I like in music is when a band or an album, the, the lyrical content or even the song titles are reflected in the music itself. Like there's, mm -hmm. there's actually a connection there. And I think, you know, like you're saying, a breakup is something that's quite a monumental moment in a lot of people's life and a lot of people experience one big one that has a profound effect on them. And I would say it has, it elicits, a breakup elicits such an extreme response and gamut of emotions that say even something like 
a death we didn't do because someone dies, she's just going to be depressed and mournful. The, the closure's gone. You can't seek closure. Yeah. You know that. You can't control that. But with a relationship, oh my god, like people are obsessed with with like reaching out and like what there is and the space between you and that person and how it's yeah. changing. Yeah. And it's just suppose it's hard for that's that yes, it's interesting because like something's dead even though it's not physically dead. Yeah. But the thing with relationships, you know, it just it's it's so much more of a wide range of emotions that they could elicit, like joy even, you know, euphoria from something ending. Like you could feel so much such a wide sort of spectrum of emotions with one event. And I think that's why Jane Doe works from that lyrical perspective as well, because I feel like as an album, it's really good at portraying those different emotions in a way that, because, you know, when people think of breakup songs or breakup albums, they think of something that's, you know, really overly sentimental or quite poppy. Whereas I think Jane Doe actually does a pretty good job of capturing the whole range of everything you kind of experience, like, you know, just the, the period of reflection, like you hear a song like Phoenix, mm. sort of Phoenix in flight again, that's quite, it's almost like he's come to terms with what's happening. And then it kind of just explodes again <laughs> in Phoenix and Flames. And I think that's a really good contrast, those two songs, because you've got Phoenix in Flight, which is just so soaring and melodic, and it's just really a beautiful song. And it's just, and the production changes so drastically in Phoenix and Flight. Like, it sounds, frankly, horrible. Like, the drums are way too loud. Everything is just so fucking abrasive. But it's just great to show, like, you know, and even everybody knows the concept of Phoenixes, you know, the, you know, the, Turn to turn into flames and you know they're reborn again and I think that's kind of what happens in that segment of the album mm. like you know that's the flight that's the rebirth and then it starts again like what with you said like with what you were saying about Jane Doe the final track about him maybe on the look out for you know something else or something else from life after this breakup yeah like the idea of the phoenix and the repetition and like it's like he knows from the beginning that his love is doomed but it's also like it's, he's doomed himself as yeah. well, like he he he's like almost resigned himself to to have this kind of love that's going to explode into flames and turn to ashes, and he knows that, and he's like still seeking it. Yeah. And he you can still feel that catharsis at the end where he's like clearly in so much pain, but he's also seeking the next round, like yeah. of what's going to be like some horrifying but also beautiful and complex and chaotic and like tearing yourself open. But, you know, at the same time, not necessarily completely being in control of that, or if he is, he's like half-warning himself and other people against that part of his own psyche. But the idea of like, when he's talking about his partner having like, her trauma being beautiful. When I read that line, I was like, there's a lot to unpack there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm not necessarily going to unpack it, but yeah, it's a really, like, really interesting... There's like a level of self-awareness, but also um, awareness of how how little in control you can be when you're in love with someone or when you want to be. Some people want to be in love with people and like it makes you ask that question if he's going through that same thing. Yeah. As well. Yeah. I love I love like the psychological aspect of an album too. And I like that I like that this album also like I think it was the first time they had the drummer. Yeah, I think it was actually the first time they had Ben Collar, or Cola, the drummer, and um, Nate Garrett, the bassist. Yeah. This was their first, because they had three albums previous to this, and this was the first album I had heard of them. And it's kind of only went back retroactively to check out their music quite a few years later. I think after their album, after Jane Doe, You Fail Me came out, which is also a really, really good album mm -hmm. for, for completely different reasons. 
so I kind of went retroactively back, but you know, in a way, there's I think even the band themselves would probably admit that Jane Doe was the one that put them on the map because yeah. it's like you said, like we were talking about before this, it's that whole lightning in the bottle moment, it's kind of their rain and blood, which is a bit of a corny <laughs> term, but like it really is that moment where you know the catalyst for creating something which is. And maybe not once in a lifetime, but it's something they'll never be able to recreate or recapture ever again. Yeah, it's clear that that moment they've captured is real. And that, yeah. like, it's that, that moment's never going to be the same again. And I think that's kind of why maybe I feel like myself and a lot of people can probably relate to that. Or find that particularly special. Because yeah. it's very rare that people... No one's going to consistently experience that unless there's something horrendously wrong with their life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In which case, I think the music wouldn't be that good anyway. So yeah, it's a really interesting album. Yeah, what would you what would you rate this album? Oof, tough one. I mean, this is literally, uh, in my personal humble opinion, one of the most important albums in the history of heavy music. Whoa. Okay. Yeah, I would say so. I'd say, and I think it makes sense why the why Berkeley wanted to um, mm. do a piece on this because I think it's it's not an album that's underrated, but I think it's often its influence is often underrated. It's a turning point for a lot of musicians yeah. and a lot of metalheads as well. Yeah. And it's, um, it's a rating. I mean, I would give it close to the highest rating I could possibly think of. Maybe like a 9.5. I'd give it a 9. Or something. Yeah. Personally, I'd give it a 9. I think it's a super important album. I don't think I'd give many... I can't think of a single album I'd give a 10 that I don't personally just love. Yeah, so maybe like Hate the Reflamer. Yeah. I, I give Akakoka, every Akakoka album I give a 10. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty much it. <laughs> but it's, um, and I think what, it's very cathartic to listen to. It is. And I think that's another thing that's really good about the album. You know, you listen to that and I think if you're someone who's, if you're someone who's pretty zen and chill, I don't think you're going to get much from the album, but if you're someone that is hurting or, yeah. or is experiencing some form of angst, you're going to listen to that and that's going to really help her. You iron out some shit if you were if you were open it for, for it to do that. It's a it's a good breakup album. I think if yeah. I listen to that as someone going through a breakup, that would probably change my life. It would yeah. definitely help me heal. I mean, even now, like I've not my like have no romantic breakups going on, but I have like a friendship breakup going on, and that yeah. definitely there were times listening to that, reading the lyrics, where I was like, that's fucking accurate. Yeah. You know, like killing your best friend every night, like knowing you're separating from a relationship that used to be really important in your life. So yeah, I think it's a really, a really accurate album, and it's cool that like, that guys wrote this, and that these men are being vulnerable, and they're like, doing it and showing that like their real angst, and they're not just trying to be like men about it. They're not like, yeah. they're not being aggressive, like physically. They're being, they're being like, angry. I think yeah. that's like a difference. I don't think it's aggressive. I feel like there's pain. The vulnerability there for yeah. sure as well, because like you know. If you look at their roots, like hardcore, like beat down hardcore, it's just like, I'm a tough motherfucker, you know, just like, <laughs> and throwing slams and shit. Yeah. Even though, funny, ironically enough, a lot of the lyrical content for the hardcore bands is actually really positive and quite life affirming. I like that about like, hardcore, yeah. Like, hate, even Hatebreed, take Hatebreed, like all the songs just like, believe in yourself! <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, it just sounds like total bro music. But it's, um, but no, like, I think you're right, like the vulnerability of Jane Doe is just there, and the artists that created it is there on display. And I think, you know, it's what I really love about it is the uh, the artwork as well. It's made by... Jacob Bannon. Yeah. yeah. So that's his actual piece as well. And it's just such an iconic sort of image, just the woman's face. And 
think even the concept of a Jane Doe, I think it's only when I researched it, when I first bought the album, I realised that the Jane Doe is the female counterpart to a John Doe. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, yeah so if you've got an unidentified male to John Doe. I already, but mainly because there's a latex company called Jane Doe Latex. Oh, no way. And she does, like, the best latex. And oh, she's, cool. I think she dated a guy in a band. That she's, oh, for God's sake. Sorry, my brain completely gone. But they moved uh-huh. to LA and she does latex for Marilyn Manson, which is now problematic. <laughs> <laughs> but this is before, obviously. So, yeah. But she's done it for, like, real, real awesome performance and stuff. She's really cool. Check her stuff out if you like shiny stuff. Yeah, but don't check out Marilyn Manson's stuff. Don't, he's not cool, don't check no. it out. Um, I saw, uh, <laughs> I freaked out, <laughs> this girl once, she was walking down the street with a Jane Doe um, tote bag, it had like the image on it, and I just like, you know sometimes when you're so excited you forget that you're a human being, and <laughs> yeah, you, you, you've got the potential to really scare someone, yeah. so I was like, oh my god, is that a tote bag, that's amazing, <laughs> she's like completely jumped out of the skin, Uh-oh. she's like, yeah, yeah, it is. But it was just, it was just so cool. That's just, and it's funny that, that in his artwork and his art style, he's done a lot of albums for other groups as well. Mm. And I think he's got a really distinct art style. And I think um, it's just, uh, it, it's funny how, like, we're talking about this a little bit with Wardrina last week, how, like, art and music go hand in hand. And I feel like it's not something that's curated often enough at gigs and stuff. And it's something I think I'd like to see more of, mm. like what, um, uh, what Roadburn do with their art installations and what... Um, what Jarena and Gull did with their art installation that the Enslaved did, even though I didn't bother to check it out, but I'm sure it was good. <laughs> yeah, so, so that's a good point, I think. So, Converge, like, I feel like I should say more, but at the same time, what can you, what can you say about an album like that? It's so important. And like, I, I listen to Converge and I listen to the other albums afterwards, and I think that was a big mistake. Because it's really difficult to listen to it. Like I suggested the um, the Epitaphs album by Obscure Sphinx, and that was the, the one I listened to straight afterwards. And I was looking at the lyrics, and I was like, they're really good lyrics, but they weren't converge. Yeah. Converge. They were like not. They were not like. Um, I think it's very rare that you you read a metal album with lyrics that are like so deep, unless it's like Lingua Ignota or something like that to me. Yeah. And then I'm reading these lyrics, which are like cool, and it's. I think it's also about like pain and to an extent loss too. But it was. Um, I think that that could be a language barrier thing too, because let's not forget are they um, Polish? They're Polish. Yeah. yeah. So like respect for writing a whole fucking album in your non-native language. That's yeah. really impressive. I mean, if I wrote Polish lyrics, it'd probably be <laughs> <laughs> dog shit. <laughs> yeah, I, I wouldn't be able to do what they've done. So serious respect for them. That's absolutely not a criticism. Um, it's, it just shows the difference between between the genres and like how different albums sound. Because personally, I like the music of Obscure Sphinx more. Yeah. I love the energy of Converge, but I love like vocally and instrumentally. I fucking love um, Obscure Sphinx. So yeah. this is a good way of, of moving into the next album, which is Epitaphs, released in twenty sixteen. What did you think of it, Floyd? Um, well, I don't. I was going to say. Um... It's a, it's a great album. I'm trying not to open it the same way with the Baymoth album. So basically, it was just like, it's a, it's a good album. I like it. <laughs> it's, um, no, it was great. Um, I did actually really enjoy it. I, I'm very new to the band. So literally, you guys introduced me to them last week. and We were just jamming a little, a little bit afterwards. And um, I think it's... What I love about it is... Well, firstly, the vocalist is outstanding. She's fucking brilliant. Like, what a voice. Like, it's... I really love hearing um, 
vocalists who happen to be female have a diverse range of vocals because I think feel like it's a bit of a middle finger and a bit of a fuck you to a lot of the elitist metalheads and people in the scene who are a bit like, oh, you know, they've either got to just be either in a symphonic metal band or they could be a token harsh vocalist. And she's like, fuck this, I'm doing harsh vocals. I'm fucking yelling, I'm singing, like the whole fucking gamut. And I think it's just really cool. And it's a great performance throughout the album. Definitely. You can hear her experimenting with her voice at different yeah. points. And she's, she sings in like all different parts of her register as well. And she, she like, in the album before, her performance is a little bit less varied, but she's still experimenting. She's still like experimenting with dissonance and singing like in different keys to what the instruments are playing. And she's just, I find what she does really interesting. I remember listening to them, I think possibly just before or just after recording, like singing on, on what we recorded on my own, my own band, Shan Lowen. Um, and like, I remember listening to her and she's almost singing Middle Eastern. It's the closest thing I've, I've heard in Western music to a vocalist actually trying to do that, like Dead Can Dance, I guess, as well. But she's not like, she's not doing it to be all like, you know, like appropriate. She's not appropriating. She's, no. she's legit just like trying to sound epic with her voice. And when I heard her doing that, it kind of really helped me find where I started doing it properly as well. It helped me find like the technique for doing it, even though she's not doing the same thing, which I found was cool. Like, thank you so much for helping me find that. That's, that's like a point of inspiration. Um, and yeah, like the way she intertwines her vocals with the instruments is really interesting. And we found out minutes before we started filming that it was released about six months after the wreck of not the wreck of the SS needle, Mariner. Mariner. I know it's called Mariner, but I call it the wreck of the SS needle because <laughs> it's my favourite song in the album. That's a great track. Yeah. <laughs> it's such a good track. <laughs> but that particular track reminds me of um, a lot of what happens on Epitaphs. Yeah. I feel, I feel like it's very similar the way like Julie Christmas is singing. Not that they have like the same style, the same voice, but they they have a similar kind of voice because there's like what eighteen different kinds of voice apparently in vocal theory. Yeah. So I think they have like the same like whatever it's called archetype of voice. And the way they sing at points is, is rather similar. I think they use some of the scales and stuff, so it's yeah. hard not to compare it to Mariner. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. I mean, I got some strong, strong Code of Luna vibes in certain parts of the album. Like some of the more posty, ambient passages sounded very Code Luna esque. Mm -hmm. I've got like a bit of a, a breakdown of most of the tracks here. Go for it. Which I've kind of just uh, I'll run through quickly. Uh, well, the first track, Nothing Left, is really good. It's got such a, it's got a real gargantuan sort of build up. Yeah, I love really cool. the guitar bass thing they're doing. It's like yeah. really bendy and dirty. Yeah. And it just, when the, when the groovy riff kicks in, it's just so cool. Like we were saying last week, like I was hearing elements of Meshuggah in it and just um, mm. the, the dirty words, gent, or some even a genty <laughs> tone to it. But it was, it was just really good. And it was, um, and I, I was looking at the lyrics because he kind of inspired me to kind of delve a bit deeper into the lyrics. And, um, they're very introspective, much yeah. in a similar way that sort of Jacob Bands is. Obviously, I think he's very much more coming at it from a very punk rock aesthetic. Which is like, he's raw. Yeah, it's very raw. And even the delivery, like, it's not even, he can't even fucking make out what he's saying. He's just vocalizing his pain. Mm. Whereas, like, here, it's obviously, it's a bit more sort of centered. It's more controlled. It's yeah. more like looking inward and like observing, I think. Yeah. And one of the things I thought found was quite cool about the lyrics is she uses a lot of. Um, uh, gory imagery to depict mm. like the uh, like the the intrinsic emotional pain and turmoil she feels. I think it's quite cool just that link between you know just using gory imagery and you know because it, it makes you think of physical pain, but 
in reality, it's very hard in real life to differentiate between the two for most people. Yeah. And I think it's in, in society, we're kind of, I think, conditioned to believe that they're very, very separate. You know, you've got your mental health treatments, you've got your physical health treatments. Yeah. And I still think a lot of modern medicine doesn't realise the connection between the two. Absolutely. So I think that's kind of what it reminded me of a little bit. But first track, Nothing Left, I thought was absolutely uh, fantastic. Second track I thought was quite interesting because it's almost like a triptych. Like it's like three tracks in one. Like if I was just listening to the album and not paying attention to the track listing, I would have thought there would have been three songs mm. on that track, which is if that's an intentional thing or not, I don't know. But um, there's a really good part. I mean, the second track, Memories Have Fallen Down, it's called. I love that track. It's, uh, there's a part where she literally is yelling as if she's fallen, and I think that was just really cool, and there's a bit more bit more reverb and echo on the vocals, and I thought that was yeah. quite cool. She has like a really, really controlled amount of distortion on her voice, which is like a really difficult thing to do. Yeah. She, she controls her voice so well, and you can tell that she's breathing really well the whole time. Like, it's just such an impressive vocal performance. I think that's the interesting thing about doing harsh vocals is you've got to, well, I find, for myself anyway, you've got to be quite controlled where you do it. Like, you can't be too over-emotional mm. because you're going to distort your voice to the point and you're going to fuck it up inevitably. Yeah. And so it's like you've got to actually be a bit calm and controlled and measured to get the distortion right to make it sound more aggressive, which is a really ironic, you know, oxymoronical thing, really. Even in, in non um, non harsh vocals, something I learned early on, like from my own teacher, uh, my own vocal teacher, was like, if you're going to sound emotional, it's important not to actually be emotional, because if you're choking up and you're singing, you're going to sing from the wrong place ah, all the time. So like a really a really uh, important thing to do is to learn how to like act like you sound emotional. Because ah. if you if you start tearing up, your your throat like raises at the back so you're more likely to sing in, in like a place that's dangerous for you especially if you're doing harsh stuff as well yeah. you're going to completely rip your throat up doing that yeah yeah but one of the techniques you use is the what you say it's the glottal stoppage then to, or so i'm not using a glottal stop though i do sing using them because i'm not singing in english it's it's like yeah. i don't know what it's called it's like a middle eastern like you know the how middle eastern people sound when they sing when they do like the crazy ovulations and stuff. Yeah. But you're also basically like creating a stop somewhere around here. So I don't do it some like you can do it from here sometimes. It's gonna sound it's it's gonna sound like yodeling. Yeah. More than like Middle Eastern and like you're not supposed to use your throat so much in that kind of singing anyway. So like you kind of do it from here and you use your you kind of use your abs, you use your diaphragm. Diaphragmic, yeah. You're not like, you've got to do the right amount of pressure. It's like really difficult to describe. Yeah. You've just got to play around and find it. So that sort of the diaphragmic or phragmatic, how you pronounce it, breathing is, is I think one of the things I think every singer realizes is probably the most important aspect. Some people don't believe in it. The main really? thing is to breathe from your stomach. Yeah. That's the most important thing, to breathe from your stomach, have good posture, and be able to like tense the right places and like have the support. The most yeah. important thing is, is vocal, is like breath support, otherwise you're going to have problems with pitch yeah. and like, you know, where you're singing from and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Well, either way, uh, going back to Obscure Things, she does a fucking fantastic yeah, job sorry, of, like, <laughs> of like, just being able to uh, fucking control her voice and just do amazing things for it. So the third track. It's a, it's a tricky one to pronounce. It's, oh, Niprovolta. Oh, it's very good. That sounded right. To I me. hope so. Sorry if it's not. Uh, and it's the Polish word for incorrectness. Well, if it is incorrect, I just exemplified the word incorrectly. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Meta. It's, 
that was a good track. It's it's a lot faster paced, which was good. Um, a lot of their more uh, faster paced sections uh, using a lot of uh, sort of melodies, kind of post rock, post metal style melodies. It really reminds me of uh, Mono. Oh yeah. And I really love Mono, a Japanese band that's just absolutely fantastic and live. Talk about warning, bringing grown men to tears. Like I think, <laughs> I think Mono is equally good at bringing people to tears just out of sheer euphoria. Because mm -hmm. just the music is just that damn. Uh, that damn good. I had a dream about Mono last night. That's so weird. That really? Yeah. Oh. Super random. Sorry. That's interesting. Do you know what? I just want to say, hey, do you know how to get your phone to stop locking its fucking screen? Yeah, you've got to go in settings. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I have to do it. I'm just like, yeah, trying to like, in a way, it's obvious. I changed mine to never go off because it annoys me so much. But yeah, I'm, I'm gonna have to sort that shit out. But yeah, it's, it's a good track and it's uh, there's a great sort of like palm muted riff that goes right in after the melodic section, and I think this band does that really well. I really like the kind of chuggy, groovy parts. They've got some good groove. That's what I like about them so yeah. much. The groove is uh, good. I just felt there's not enough bands in that sort of niche pocket of metal that does a lot of groove, if that makes sense. I feel like Colt Luna do, and mm. there's a lot of groove on Mariner as well, yeah. which is, I think, why it was such a successful album. Totally. But oftentimes, a lot of post-metal was so meandering that it takes ages to get to a point. This is so concise in comparison, I feel. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. But it's, um, I thought, do you have any opinions of that track at all? Uh, Honestly, I just love all the tracks. I'm, yeah. I'm not very good at, like, I didn't do a, a breakdown of this album. Um, I just remember, I've listened to it a fair amount, and, like, I don't, when I listen to an album or a band, I usually don't look, look at the tracks, but something we've started doing with the this weekly review is that we, we are trying to do that. I didn't have time, I'm so sorry. Um, but, yeah, mainly, I just like, I, I like it. That's my take. It's weird because like I, because I want to do a track breakdown of this album to something I wasn't familiar with. Mm. So as I feel like Jane Doe is something that's kind of ingrained in my consciousness a bit. So that's an album I'm very familiar with. Whereas like, so I know if I tried to talk about this just off the top of my head, I'd be like, I can't remember a fucking thing. <laughs> <laughs> but it was um, the next track I thought was really good. Probably my favorite track on the album. It's called Memorare. Memorare, have you pronounced it? I'm not sure. Probably but, the lyrics is, uh, it's just, it's the Western translation of the prayer for eternal rest. I did not know that! Yeah. So it will be memorare. Yeah. It's going to be Latin. Oh, okay. Yeah. And it's, uh, yeah, it's just directly taken from the Western translation for that prayer. That's so cool. And, um, and it, it, it works really well because it's a really doomy track, it's really sombre. And it's actually the same riff throughout the entire song, but basically what happens is it starts off like very like almost like early catatonia style, mm -hmm. like similar guitar tone, and then it transitions into the same riff, but like in, in, a, in a palm muted groovy way again. And it does a really good job, and it's it with just using and layering on the same bit of music. And I just love when bands do that because you know any you listen to a subgenre like say technical death metal, and you've got like two million riffs in one track and everything's all over the place, which is great. Even Converge, Converge have got a lot of shit going on in one song. Mm. But I really also, on the flip side, really like it when the band is able to take one idea, one simple riff, and make that work and make it more dynamic or as dynamic as a track, like say, fucking Necrophagist or something. Mm. That just, Phagist, sorry, oh, Necrophagist. <laughs> <laughs> Careful what you say that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I thought, I thought you were going to say Dope Smoker there, but um, Necrophagist works too. Yeah, but that's another great example. Yeah. I mean, you know, you listen to Sleep, and and, it, and it's funny because um, 
when it comes to like this uh, particular subgenre, whether you want to call it doom, sludge, stoner, or post metal, I've got to be in the right frame of mind really totally. to appreciate it. Yeah. You know, if I'm feeling like super fucking down and miserable, I'd rather listen to something you know more akin to funeral doom, whether it be Bell Witch or even something acoustic. Mm. Whereas if I'm like sort of hyper aggressive, then I'd want to listen to something a bit more fast paced and you know higher tempo. Whereas like I think this is the sort of music I enjoy when I'm kind of like kind of like in the middle. Yeah. Like, I'm in a decent mood. Like, not too good, not too bad, but I'm just kind of chill, a little bit chill and a little bit zen, but it just it's good at kind of keeping you at an even keel, a level playing field. I think that's when I appreciate this sort of music the most. It's stable. Like yeah. stable. Yeah. It's, it's a very stable album. I think it's very well put together, you know. I think it's, it's, it doesn't run the risk of being uh, contrived, which is often if music is too overly constructed, you could tell there's a lot of process into thinking how the song is constructed, which uh, most music is, but like it's it's done so in a way where it's still uh, organic and it's emotional and I think it's able to, you're able to connect to the music quite easily still. I think largely due to the vocal performance, like the track, the Memorare is like probably got some of the most uh, beautiful, clean singing passages on it. Mm. And I think that it's a really good, uh, a really good choice to um, switch it up and adopt that, those styles of vocals for that particular track. Yeah, definitely. I like the, the cover as well, with like, there's like a statue and it's got like, I think it's might, it might be a mixed media collage or something, it's got like these streams of black. Yeah, it's got like some dude of spaghetti. Yeah, I wonder if it's like a, a mourning album, not just for like, um, like maybe the loss of a, a family member or, or death, I don't know. I really would, I'd love to know what was going through the head of the singer. Speaking of which, the reason we haven't named the singer is because we don't know what the singer's called. We went on Encyclopedia Metallum, and they're, they're, they're referred to as the Reverend. They all have nicknames. Apparently she blesses people um, when she's like performing. She's She's got a really cool, I love her stage uh, makeup that she uses. You've seen it with like the, the black, the tears streaming down. Yeah, really cool. yeah, she looks great. And yeah. it's, just, it's, just, it's just great when a band adopts visuals into, the, into their sort of stage performance. And like obviously everybody knows you've got fucking two million second wave black metal bands that all look the same, they all look like <laughs> fucking depressed pandas. But um, it's great when you see something a bit different and the band is actually putting some thought into how they present themselves on stage. Like, it doesn't actually always have to be an aesthetic thing, but even just the way they move about on stage and stuff. Yeah, totally. And by all accounts, like I think this is a, this band here would fit in so well at Damnation. Oh my like, god, this is a so Damnation good. band through and through. Hundred percent, like every, a lot of people who go there are massive Cult of Luna fans as yeah. well. And like anyone who likes Cult of Luna probably would love this album for sure. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of corpse paint, I think one of the best UK bands that does it is a band called Chubby Thunderous Bad Kush Masters. <laughs> have you heard of them? No, I've never heard of them. Wait, Chubby Thunderous. Bad Kush Masters. Bad Kush Masters. Yeah, we'll, we'll put a link in the video if we remember. But basically what they do is they, they do corpse paint, but they wear tie-dye. Ah. And, and their shirts are like tie-dye, but with like a black metal logo and everything. Ah, that's and they're just, cool. They, they, have, they sound good. They're like really heavy, like distorted vocals. Uh, they played like Desert Fest, I think. And they, they do like occasional London shows. They did occasional London shows. Um, yeah, check them out if you like some good underground UK music. Kind of sounds a bit like the uh, black metal equivalent to Party Cannon. Perhaps. I, I've never actually listened to Party Cannon. There, if, you, if you like really dumb, aggressive, slam, brutal death metal, then they are the shit. And it's, it's just amusing to see, oh, well, uh, when you used to see the older death metal festival lineups, 
to have all these fucking unreadable logos that are just part of canon, like childish bubble Yeah, I've seen that on the, um, was it uh, Maryland Death Fest? I think they were on there. Yeah, I think it was, yeah. yeah, it was pretty hilarious. Yeah, that's cool. Man, I do love it. I love the humour of metal. I think it's okay to have, like, you know, a few joke bands in there. Why not? And they're not really a joke band, they're a legit band, too. Oh, why not, man? As long as they're not shit like Steel Panther. I mean, fuck fuck Steel it, I'll just call them out. I think Steel Panther are dog they're shit. Fucking like, stupid. No. Yeah. Like, I'm sure they're lovely people, but can you fucking not? Anyway, um, so what would you rate Epitaph? <sighs> See, I'm starting to, since we started doing this, I'm starting to just revise everything that I, that, that I consider about rating albums, because I'm just like, I just overthink shit, and I'm just like, fuck, it's just what would I actually rate How this? How three different versions of a rating? Yeah, yeah. it's, um, I mean, I, I, on initial thoughts, I'd give it a solid um, eight, and what, if I had one criticism, I would say, I was saying this to um, you guys the other day, I think, Sometimes the post sort of metal and some of the more ambient sections can be a bit too meandering at times, mm. and uh, that's not even the knock on the band or the album itself. That's just me personally. You know, that's your taste. Not often will I listen to music where uh, a passage that uh, an acoustic or a melodic passage, if it if there's no variation and it's repetitive for longer than a minute or a half, you know, I'm just I'm just too stupid for that shit. It just doesn't catch my attention. I'm just like I want to hear something else now, and that's just <laughs> that's just me. I can really like that with my own music. I don't like listening to do like I don't know. I, I like listening to I mean just edit this bit out because I sound like a wanker, so <laughs> I just yeah, I I I'm I can be really fussy about long drawn out sections. I think with some bands it really works, but with most bands it doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. Sleep do it well. They do it well. They they're good at doing like tiny little variations and because part of their sound is like supposed to be like the richness, the yeah. tone, all the layers and like when even if you if you're not like into drugs or anything, if you watch them, especially live, oh my god, you just get sucked into this world yeah. of like vibrations, man, and like the gear that they use as well is yeah. just it's so beautiful. Our Cisneros's bass tone live made my throat vibrate at the back <laughs> of the HMV forum. I think it was like my whole Fuck. throat was just like <laughs> it's crazy. Is that how you learn your vocal techniques? <laughs> it might be. <laughs> Sorry, it was our sister's all along. It's um, they're just a vibe, though. It's a vibe band, like, and that's what it's about. You know, you get some music that's just a complete and utter fucking chill and get high and vibe to them. And you know, you, for the record, you don't need to get high to appreciate sleep. Even though when I saw them at Roadburn and yeah, everything was blazing up in the building, so I was definitely <laughs> fucking high, like from contact high. But it was um, yeah, man. It's just it's. But once again, for me personally, that's something I have to be in the mood for. Totally. So like every day I could bang on Dope Smoker or Holy Mountain and just completely yeah. veg out. But I feel like I'm doing it better personally. Yeah, I need to that jump. I need to listen take. tomorrow. Oh, maybe we should do an eye review. Yeah, that's what I've been. Yeah, I'm looking to the stuff. I, I get shit real nerdy if we did an eye review. I, I am obsessed with Alcest Rose. He's one of the musicians that made me decide to actually make do music things because he's just. He, I've never talked to him. I've stood in a room with him and like nodded at him, and I was like, yeah. it was probably one of the few moments I've had a I'm not worthy kind of yeah. experience with a, a musician, and just the level of detail he goes into with his music and his lyrics and everything he does is just mad, and he's just such a strange figure. He's so mysterious. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we should do that then. Mm, totally. So I feel like the film of this week is I've got such a, a strong relationship and connection to Jane Doe. I've been listening to it for fucking close to almost 20 years now, do you know what I mean? But like, it'd be good to do an album that you, that resonates 
I quite mean, a lot this year. Steel Sphinx is probably that album for me this week. Yeah, that's fair enough. Yeah, I think for me, Adviatic Songs or Adviatic, I'm not sure how you pronounce it, is probably the most important. Like, kind of Alsace Neurose involved album. I think a lot of people would expect me to say sleep, but I think State of Non Return is my favourite song ever that's like not classical music. Oh shit, that's his legit favourite song ever. I think so. Like the first time I, I, even now when I hear that song, it has like an effect on me. Like there's something so incredible about the way like, the way the bass just like kind of rolls and there's this heaviness with the drums, like syncopated drums and bass and and this like crashing sense of heaviness and there's no guitar. It's just so fucking heavy. So good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's no guitar at all, it's just bass, drums, vocals. Oh. Yeah, Ohm is a uh, drum kit, uh, Alsace Rose on bass, and then there's a guy called Lykins, yeah. who's an independent artist who joins them live, and he has this table which is covered in like weird modded instruments and pedals, and he has like, he, he has, so you, I don't know if everyone, if you've probably not listened to it, but the beginning of Advaitic songs, there's like um, singing, and you think it's a woman, it's, it's Lykins. Oh shit. And he has the most incredible falsetto I've ever fucking heard on a man or a woman. Like, he legit can sing soprano better than oh, a no lot of people. It's in- insane. He does it live. He does it flawlessly live. When I saw it, my mouth was hanging open because he's incredible. He's an, a really impressive musician. I would absolutely love to be able to do falsettos po- pro- properly. <laughs> Just, um, I can't even say the word properly properly. <laughs> over me doing falsettos. But no, it's just every time I hear, like, um, like I'm a massive uh, Judas Priest fan, and I just love Rob Halford's voice, and I just think some of his vocal work he put down was just unreal and untouched even to this day. Mm. But that sounds really, really intriguing. Like, I'd definitely love to check it out. The lyrics are deep as fuck as well. Like, yeah. he's obsessed with mysticism and Gnosticism and all the isms and, and yeah. like religions and everything, so it's really fascinating to delve in. But that's like not what we're talking about today, so... Right. Well, I mentioned bass, and I'll, I'll segue back into one thing I want to also mention about Obscure Sphinx was I really appreciate it in the band when the rhythm section, so when the bass and the drums are not overplaying and overperforming. Mm-hmm. I like the drums to be quite in the pocket and quite tight. I think that's one thing I really liked about this album. It's really, I think it speaks volumes to a band and the rhythm section when they're able to understand that not necessarily they have to blend into the music but they've got to accentuate other parts of the music whether it be the guitars or the overall structure of the song and I feel like it's always a bit distracting for me if I hear a bass that's been overplayed mm. or drum fills and I'm going to use this example again and people will be sick to death of me talking about this <laughs> fucking album but like Hathier Flame <laughs> Alvenifrous. Like the drums on that album is like the one detractor for a lot of people because they're so jarring. They're so good. But I like them. <laughs> I love them. But like, but that's like the exact opposite of what you get in this album. It's very much you know the drummer is in the groove, he's in the pocket, he knows what he's doing. Mm-hmm. He's technical. He's got his little flourishes here and there, which makes sense. And I just appreciate that because it just makes it sound so much more cohesive and it doesn't detract from the overall presentation of the music and the record. That reminds me of um, the Kurt Ballou um, lecture interview thing with Converge because he says when they were writing the album that they were focusing on only having one instrument be the voice at a time, whether it's the ah. voice or the bass or the guitar. And this is something that that we learned when we were writing as well is that like it can interfere if you if like one person or one writer is trying it like writes in a particular way where like a particular part of what you're trying to weave together is always at the forefront. You need to have a balance and stuff passing yeah. things to each other. And, and that was something I really respected. Like, I really liked hearing that confirmed this yeah. idea. And this is what you're saying too, is like the, the, 
the bass and the drums aren't trying to be the voice all the time. They're not trying to push their way forward to yeah. be heard. Yeah. But, but, uh, yeah, but by the same merit, they should be heard at certain points. They should be heard, like, absolutely, yeah. The bass riff, the opening riff on Hell to Pay on Jane Doe is fucking insane. Like, it's such right. a groovy bass line that gets so good and, like, and Ben Collin, the drummer, and that dude's all over the fucking place. I mean, the drums on that album, it's like he, he's definitely on the verge of just, that's that John Bottom just wildness, but while still being cohesive enough that he's, you know, still playing to the song structure. It's you might say good. he's on the con verge. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what about you in terms of uh, rating the uh, Obscure Sphinx album? It's a tough one. Um, I mean, it's. It's better than the Satanist. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, oh. <laughs> I just said that to, to I don't know, to see you do that things. Um, I think it's probably an eight for me. I think because yeah. it, it was like a turning point for me vocally. It was it's an important album for my development personally as a musician. So I'd give it a good score. Yeah. Oh, oh, I think that's pretty fair to come on. But I think we seem to be on the same page with that album anyway. Definitely going to listen to their um, uh, other albums as well. Because I haven't checked out any of their other material. I think it's their best album. I think their previous album at least is such a development. Ah, uh, like, really? Like I think their previous album was 2011. So it's a big gap. That's quite yeah. Yeah, five and jump. like you can you can hear her progression as a as a vocalist. And like the most recent thing is only a, a live album. Only a live. It's a live album. I think it's called Formatage. Am I correct? Yeah, yeah. Void Mother came out in 2013. Oh, three, 2013, three my bad. Ago. Three years is a long time, I think, for a it band. Is, yeah, yeah totally. I think it's the right time as well. I think sometimes people feel too much pressure to just release something every year, you know. But it depends who you are and what you play. I think with that kind of music, this kind of like progressive, complex weaving music, with all these emotional kind of, like, Things that you're trying to do, I think, I think it made sense for them. I'm glad that they're taking their time. So please continue taking your time, but do release an album of Skills Things, please. I beg of you. <laughs> uh, do you know that's why that that's a good point about the whole sort of duration between albums. That's why I give so so much mad fucking props to Carcass because mm. to come back after all those years with Surgical Steel oh is just God. crazy, man. What a good album! Such a good album. It's like they've been playing for years, right? Yeah. And they're so tight live. Right. Do you want to be sick if we, I mean, this would be our long video, but imagine if we'd done a discography review, like a run through oh of the band. Like, I would totally be game to do that for Carcass because I'd I need like a month to prepare. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but um, I'm not even going to try and pronounce the lyrics on the earlier albums. It's you just know, funny. when I was at uni, I, we had to like bring a poem in and read it to the entire lecture theatre of like 300 oh. students, and I brought in doctoral expletives. <laughs> <laughs> I read it to the entire, and it, I related it to Shakespeare because it was for a Shakespeare module because they made Shakespeare references. My lecturers were like, what the fuck is this person doing? Fucking hell, that's amazing. It was great, yeah. Alright, so should we move on to the uh, third and final? Froglord. Froglord. This was a Floyd suggestion, because Floyd loves frogs. I think think it's safe to say we both love frogs, but I've actually been collecting plus frogs since before I could remember, and I had something close to about 200 of them. they're all sitting in the attic at the moment. There are some. I'll have to take pictures of some of them. Some of them are so cute. You can bring one and put it on the shelf. Oh, I should totally do yeah. that. We should have a frog on the shelf. That'd be yeah. amazing. And uh, I actually want to tell um, a story. I, 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 haven't, I don't think I've told the story, but I told you the story about the little plush frog. Maybe. That oh, I lost. I want to hear it again, even if I It's a good it. story. It's really sad. Oh. It should totally be made into a Disney film. <laughs> Pixar would do it. Starring Gina Carano. Now we've done But no, it's... Um, 
basically when I was young, um, my mum picked up this really cute, it was like a little plush tree frog. And um, so I, I always named my frogs as everybody names their plushies. And I called him Lloyd, because you know, I'm a creative fucking genius. I said, just take my name and take the F off. <laughs> so his name was Lloyd, and um, I was really, he was my favorite frog. And okay. um, my mum even, um, knitted him like a little nappy for him to wear oh. like a little hat and stuff so he had his own power own clothes i put a nappy on my city doll when i was a kid oh. yeah it's put those plasters on him <laughs> <laughs> it was just um so when i was about maybe five six i had a really really bad middle ear infection oh, that was no. like crazy ill for ages yeah and they thought i was going to need uh, what's called grommets which i think is some child version of hearing aids i mean i barely remember it because i was younger at the time um, but uh, eventually I miraculously recovered and I was fine because it was such a, a horrific month. My mum says, oh, I'll take you to Legoland. So we went to Legoland and I had um, Lloyd with me. I was like, I'll take Lloyd with me. And I was so excited about going to Legoland and we were on the train to Windsor and, um, and I must have left him on the train, didn't I? Oh no! And it was, um, <laughs> and I just spent, and it was so bad because even though I was a young child, I was thinking, I don't want to show my mum how devastated I am that I've lost this plush frog. Oh, no. So I want to let her know that I'm having a good time at Legoland, but I was like so sad that we got the train back and we went to, um, the first time I went to KFC, it was the KFC in Trafalgar Square, not Trafalgar Square, sorry, um, Leicester Square, uh, not far from where the Trocadero was, rest in peace Trocadero. And um, it was just their sin, and I think it was just because uh, the excitement of Legoland has subsided. So I was just there, I just started to sort of quietly crying to myself while eating my fried chicken. <laughs> my mum just turns around and she gets a thick Scottish accent. She's like, oh, for fuck's sake, you're not so fucking upset over that frog, are you? And I was just like, oh, I am, and I cried that night. And un unbeknownst to me, my mum actually, I think, I cannot remember which train station it was, might be Marlebone, might be Liverpool Street, to get to Windsor. But uh, my mum would call up every day and have an awkward conversation <laughs> with the people working in the lost and found. So you haven't found a, a plush frog with a with a nappy on, have you, any chance? Like a no. So, so yeah, so that's the story of how I lost my frog. So anyway, frog lord. Um, I like frogs. The frogs are great. They're very cute. That is so sad. <laughs> Step aside. That's fine. I'm over it. I'm over it. You should write an album about this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A DSBM album. Do a split with frog lords. <laughs> yeah, that would be cool. Yeah. The freeway split, got Goblin, that was uh, Goblin Smoker. Goblin Smoker. Goblin Smoker, Frog yeah. Lord, and, uh, and my, de my depressed black metal project about losing the Lloyd. <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 the rest in peace, Lloyd. Like Lloyd's yeah. epitaph. Lloyd's <laughs> epitaph. <laughs> frog Doe? I don't know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know at the end. Um, yeah, so this came out in 2021, which is this year, weirdly, it's not next year anymore. 50% um, of the proceeds of this album is going to a charity called Save the Frogs, hence the album being called Save the Frogs. And um, it's fucking good. I listened to the, the full length they released in 2020, which was called... Amphibian Ascending? That's it, Amphibian Ascending. And it was like, um, I listened to that first, so I kind of had a very, like, I had medium like normal expectations i was like this band's just going to sound like kind of a sludgy stonery band which is kind of how the full neck sounds but then i put frog lord on save the frogs by frog lord on and it's way better i think in in like the months between these albums something has happened to the frog lord um and they've just gotten much better i just prefer like there's more groove there's more variation there's just more going on and it's it's like catchy and it's nice and it feels kind of like feels weirdly pure I don't know if you, you got this kind of like, he genuinely loves frogs. 
to the extent that people have clearly accused him, um, the frog lord. He, he's like just a dude with a frog head. Like literally his promo picture is him on a rock in like a frog pose with a frog head in like a shirt and jeans. It's really Pretty fucking cool. It's, it's legit like not cringy and I don't know why. Um, but it's, it's good. And so he, he, he's like obviously been accused of this and he's put up a post being like, for those of you saying that this is a gimmick, it's not. Here's a picture of me in 2011 with a save at the Save the Frogs like like table and he's fundraising for Save the Frogs at his like college. He's just a kid and he's got his frog like Photoshop frog oh, head. And he's like, I really love frogs, That's guys. Adorable. It's just so sweet. Yeah. It's so nice that like it's music and it's for a cause and he just. He's so like passionate about something that it's impossible to be depraved about. You just know this guy's a Nazi. He's no. not like he's not like doing anything bad to the frogs, you know. No. <laughs> <laughs> Are you okay? You like those YouTube videos of monkeys. No. It's <laughs> <laughs> a gorilla. Oh, that's so sad. I showed you that YouTube video of the guy that made a hip hop beat out of monkey screams. <laughs> Oh, I need to show you this afterwards, it's amazing. That it's actually great. really good. That sounds legit good. I mean, like, so it's a one-man project, um, which is impressive in itself, because like, uh, when I listened to the drums on the first track, I was like, these drums are really good. They sound kind of bold. Yeah, they're, they're quite, quite full, rich sound, the drums. Yeah, it's groovy, like, the tone on the guitars is really nice. There's, like, Kyosi moments, there's, like, like, kind of almost death metal moments. There's, like, the vocals are clearer. I think this guy maybe, like, discovered, like, he upgraded his skills, perhaps, in... Production or something. I yeah, don't know. yeah. Because I think from what I've gathered, reading his response and their 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 biggest sort of YouTube music video that he released, um, I think he was just saying, yeah, this is just a side project I was just doing for a bit of fun, but it's just kind of become his main musical output now. So maybe he realised that from going between Amphibian Ascending to the Perhaps, Save yeah. the Frogs EP, or you know, maybe this is something I might maybe put a bit more time and effort in. And mm -hmm. I think it probably shows. It definitely, in my opinion, it shows in the EP. And I think, in my opinion, the little EP was kind of hitting its stride with the fourth track, which is about the, the, the great crocodile. And he even employs like a bit like a Mongolian throat singing. Oh, the throat singing's sick! Yeah, it's, 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 it's it's it sounds really fucking like. sick. And there's like, um, there's samples of David Ambra from, I think, the Extinction documentary. Oh, no way! Oh, cool. Yeah, the, the day, I think that's like the second or third track. I was like, that's a legit wholesome moment. And he's like, talking about the importance of saving frogs. Apparently they're like, particularly fucked. Um, more so than a lot of species, because there's like the insect apocalypse, it's legit called the insect apocalypse. So like, a lot of food for frogs is disappearing and their habitats are disappearing too, so like, it's just, it sucks to be a frog right now. Yeah. And like, I mean, tree frogs are so cute. They are, and I had no idea, I, I had a little look on the Save Frogs um, charity page, and mm. I had no idea just the amount, the impact. Yeah. Um, of, you know, the, the, the uh, legitimacy behind the charity, how much it impacts the sort of what's being done to this planet is having on the frog and in turn what the what the um, population of the frog that impact has on just the overall well-being mm. of certain ecological systems and it's habitats. It's so fragile like a single uh, animal that you wouldn't even think about going like just disappearing can completely fuck on uh, the system. Yeah. They're so like complicated. Yeah. I'm definitely going to Try and get some Save the Frogs merch at some point. Oh, that'd be cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I, I dig it. I think this is like legit, really, a really cool album. I wrote something else that I was going to say. There's a, this is a band with an unfortunate name, but this this particular album reminds me of a band that I absolutely love. I literally have them on vinyl. They're called Goblin Cock. They're really <laughs> good. They're I shit you not, they're great. They, I was sound, like, yeah. they're, they sound 
they're like so groovy. I discovered them in like 2003 or 2005. They're just so their music videos are so good. The and album cover rules. The, the album cover is like, <laughs> sitting on a throne. Huge piss dick. <laughs> the camera finished it for me. Oh sorry. No, no, it's funny. But I think it works. I think you could be the the, the finisher of, of sentences that end in like huge piss dick. <laughs> it's like that. I was trying to have to say. I've never listened to Goblin Cop. Um, we'll play some later. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're really groovy and like, I just I don't know why. I, I, apparently they're not produced very well. But I love the production. It's just really like simple and their music videos are legitimately hilarious. Yeah. If you're bored on YouTube, which I think a lot of people are right now, instead of watching a video about how coronavirus is, is fake, maybe you go and watch a Goblin Cock video. Um, it's probably more entertaining as well, and you're not going to accidentally kill your arm. Um, so yeah, there's that. <laughs> 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 Yeah, it, a great EP, I think, um, like, you know, going back to what I was saying um, when we were talking about Obscure Sphinx, you know, I've got to be in the mood to appreciate kind of a lot of sludge metal, like it's a lot of a certain moods, it just completely goes over me and I just can't get into it, but like, mm. I tried, I listened to this EP a few times during different parts of the day, and yeah, I, I dig it, I think it's cool, I think um, I love the groove, I just like groove, it's that simple, if you give me a groovy riff, mm. And you know, and a, and a bit of a vibe, then I'm happy, really, to be honest. And that's what this album does. It's just simple as that, really. It's simple. It's good. It's like a frog. It's green. It sounds yeah. green. It's like kind of slimy. It's a little bit diaphanous. Like you can tell if you pick it up, and your hands have acid on them, it's going to hurt the skin of this album. Yeah. Like it's a very sweet album with large eyes. Um, but yeah, it also reminds me of Weed Eater, and at times the the intros are very kaisy. Yeah. Very warm guitars, but then they've also got some like darker, colder bits as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, um, it's funny catch because obviously you you two definitely are more well versed in sort of the doom stoner slash sludge. It's weird because everything always gets. It's, I feel like labels in this scene are very redundant. Because I just don't know what any genre is anymore. No, it's, I, it's all lost meaning to me. If it's like I kind of if it's death metal, I'm like I can I can understand death metal, but like post rock, post core, post. Post everything. I don't understand what post anything is. I kind of get what post metal is. Yeah. Anything core. Don't understand. Don't yeah. know. I kind of. I think I know what hardcore is. I. I think. Yeah. I'm not sure. I. I, if I can see them. I know they're hardcore because they've got muscles. Yeah. <laughs> if they're if they're kind of chubby and they look like they smoke weed, they're probably stoner or doom. Yeah. You know, and like that's pretty much it. Yeah, that's that's a pretty fair assumption. Assumption. <laughs> but it's um. I just wanted to um, just mention again just about the Mongolian th throat singing parks. I feel like it's just so cool because it actually sounds like a fucking frog. <laughs> yeah, I thought that's just what so, and I'm just like, man, what a perfect, what a, what a great idea. And I feel like, you know, shout out to the Who for making, you know, throat singing and Mongolian traditional music sort of acceptable. Mm -hmm. And it's funny, isn't it? Because really, if you look at bands like Wadrina, Highlung, uh, the Who, they're not metal bands. In, in theory, but Definitely. they are bands that are accepted by the scene because you know they they're, they're bringing something fresh, and I think it does show that for every you know elitist metalhead that is you know super strict about you know genre labels and categorizing everything, you've got people that are just just like music for for being good music, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's a really interesting debate because I kind of stopped caring about genres for a long time, and that's kind of why I just don't know what anything is anymore. But I, I remember I saw like a debate on Facebook where most people debate these days about how genres like genre labels can be important, especially if you're like an editor or if you're doing editorial work or if you want to help people find particular kinds of music. So 
I don't know, I think I should probably like clean myself up a bit more. I don't think it's important if, I think if you're obsessed with classification to the extent you're like, I won't listen to anything that's X or anything that's Y, I think that's a bit silly. Yeah, that's I think it, it can help and I think it can hinder. It's an interesting topic because um, I think it can actually be quite overwhelming for a lot of people trying to get into the scene. Definitely, yeah. Which is why I think you get some you get some people that pick with a subgenre and just stick with that. Mm. Just think, fuck, it's just so much to explore. And uh, you know, I mean, there's 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 about two million black metal and death metal albums alone. So like, by the time you've even covered even the popular bands in those two subgenres, you've got about another thirty bands in the doom subgenre. Yeah. Like about another fifty bands in the thrash. Subgenre, so it's like, and I think yeah, this is classification is a weird one. Um, but I think you know, at the end of the day, just good music is good music, right? Really, I mean, a lot of people will often ask, well, some people ask, like, what kind of metalhead are you? And yeah. like, usually, I just say doom because it's easier, yeah, because like, I don't want to, like, I don't even know how to unpack what yeah. I would listen to because it always changes, right. Yeah, and I think it's just about balance, really, because I feel like, you know, classification, like we were saying about the writer, is useful in some perspectives, because it gives you a loose framework of what to expect mm. in separate subgenres, because each band's, you know, I mean, like, you know, you listen to Death, Gore, Guts, uh, Cannibal Corpse, Suffocation, you, you're going you're gonna to see a common thread in elements that, it, that would link them all to a certain subgenre, the same way you listen to uh, Emperor, Dylan Borgia and whatever symphonic black metal bands, you know, okay, these bands are symphonic and they have black metal elements. And it's useful in that regard, but I think what the thing that's become ridiculous is the fact that it's like what's all about the snowball effect. Like, you know, mm. with every time music develops, that creates another 10 subgenres. Yeah. To the point where you've got, like, you know, post black metal and you've got un black metal, you've which is Christian gays. black metal. There's even a, there's a genre called rape gaze. Oh, shit, you know. What? Yeah. Rape gaze? Yeah. I don't know if it's still there, but it was there about, like, five years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know what it's about, though? No. No. It was that came out of, like, I think it was originally called Witch House, and there was a journalist that. There was a band, I can't remember what they're. Which, well, they're sorry, from which, Salem. Salem. Yeah, there was a band, I Salem. Based in Salem. Huh? Or was the band? No, there was the band. I think the band were called Salem. Okay, you, and I only know about this because I used to look. At, I used to read uh, that website Hipster Runoff loads, and they used to joke about it loads. They're really funny. It was like a satirical website about uh -huh. being like a, a hipster, I guess, before they were hipsters, whatever. But this band Salem, the the singer, like in all the promo pictures, he always had this kind of like slack jawed look, and he'd be like like that, so a journalist oh. coined the term uh. rape gaze because they were like, they had shoegazy elements in their music uh. and he was taking the piss out of the singer. Okay. So yeah, I thought I'd just... That's what that is. Yeah, it's not actually about, no. Yeah. It's, a, it's a joke about the singer uh. of Salem having a weird look. That's so, so not a 2020 thing. No, <laughs> yeah. But that, that's where <laughs> that comes from. Don't anyway. I laugh so heartily at that. It's a, <laughs> it reminds me of a, another pet peeve I have is when fucking lyrical content is then turned into a, a subgenre of metal that is the same as another one. Give an example, like fucking Viking metal, pirate metal. What the fuck is Viking and pirate metal? Like it's just either melodic death metal or folk metal. I guess some Vikings would have been perceived as pirates, even though piracy and Vikings didn't exist, I think, at the same time. They didn't exist at the same time. I don't believe so. Oh, okay. I think Vikings were around in the 1500s, and then pirates were more like, what, 1700s? Yeah, okay. 
Correct me if I'm wrong, pirate academics. Viking academics. But it's just, I think it's stupid because of the fact that you've got lyrical content and then that somehow dictates that that's a separate subgenre. Like, that's porno an example. Grind, though. Sorry? What about porno grind? What have I got you? Porno, porno grind and gore grind is just. And this is that's another. That's definitely it's the lyrical thing, right? Porno yeah. grind. Because you. Yeah. Yeah, it, 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 it's like that thing. Not all death metal has gore lyrics, not all black metal has satanic lyrics. Yeah. And like, but yeah, Polner Grind is something that I think is just, just a real bastard stepchild of the scene. And it's funny because you look at Gore Grind and Polner Grind, mm. and this is something that really uh, actually peeps me off more than it should do, <laughs> is um, that often gets misconstrued as what Grindcore is. Yeah. People think, when pe most people think of Grindcore, they think of something that's just really stupid and fast paced and has no structure. Whereas the truth of grindcore is, when you listen to like all the classic grindcore bands, would be you know, you know Napalm Death, obviously, Nasm, Pig Destroyer, Asuk, um, they're all bands that have real strong roots, similar to Converge in like the political scene, um, like the hardcore punk scene, and they've got real crust elements, DB elements, and it's quite musical, and it's like they're often talking about political topics, and I feel like there's a lot of worth in grindcore as a genre that it's just, just not recognised because most people think it's just exactly the same as gore grind and porn mm. grind. So. What genre is fuckpick? They're, they're, the fuckpick are probably closer to actual grindcore. Okay, that's yeah. what I was thinking, but yeah. I, was, I didn't want to say it because it sounded like a stupid person. Yeah, no, they're definitely, because, and like, and they, I think, um, what's his name from, Anal Nathrak, uh, Dave, Dave Hunt, uh, provides vocals for a lot of the fuckpick stuff. I didn't know that. I'm quite tight with him, yeah. I like the artwork, it's weird yeah. and dark, yeah. And I love Anal Nathrak as well. Or anal Nathrak, as I used to pronounce it back in the days, but um, <laughs> they, they do a real good job of blending like grindcore, industrial, and black metal, in my opinion. I think they're quite a good, uh, they're quite a seminal bands for the extreme underground scene. And they're from the UK as well, it's just crazy how many influential UK bands there are. I mean, we've really spawned every facet of popular and heavy music. Whenever I hear the word anal, anal Nathrak, I can hear the snare drum. <laughs> I can hear that way. Like, I can just hear it. It's like someone's thrown a ping pong ball and it's like rattling. Yeah, it's that's a problem with a lot of uh, death metal, I think, and a lot of uh, really fast-paced drums. They're just too clicky, too processed. Just yeah. sounds like someone typing furiously on a. On a, on a <laughs> it's like a cartoon. Like so. a typewriter. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, back to Frog Lord. Um, what would you rate it? Oh God, I'll, I'll go for a solid uh, six point five. I was gonna rate it six. I think no. it's, it's not like it's not like. I'm so sorry for all God, I fucking love you, but I don't think it's a genre-defining turning point oh, kind it's, of album. It's fun music, it's a great EP, and it does the music well. But it's an EP, you know, I mean, I'm sure, sure Mr. Frog Lord or is uh, thinking about creating a, an amazing piece of music or a second full-length album at some point, which is going to blow everybody's uh, mind, so... Indeed. It's going to be an amphibian... Absolutely. I can't make a fun pun with amphibians, I'm <laughs> yeah. so sorry. Yeah, I was trying to do some frog-esque pun in my head, but I've got nothing. <laughs> oh, no, nothing. And it's for a good cause as well, you know, it's for yeah, charity, which is good. That. You know, that's got to be, you know, you don't see that too often in the metal scene, really, so I think that's something that should be uh, yeah. uh, praised. I mean, if every single album release was some, like, kind of crazy genre, mind-blowing moment, it would be tiring as fuck to listen to metal. I thought you, you, your brain would just be mush, like, just nothing would ever sound good ever again. Yeah, basically. I mean, yeah. So that's, that's the weekly review. I, I think believe. so, I think that covers it. That covers it. Thank you so much, um, Frog Lord, Obscure Sphinx and Converge. You make bloody lovely music. 
and thank you for watching if you made it this far feel free to subscribe and like and follow and uh, we also do our card reading tarot episodes so feel free to check those out we've got more coming thank and uh, so much. feel free oh sorry to interrupt feel free to submit any demos or any music you'd like us to check out because we would be more than happy to review it we love reviews so send us your music send us your stuff we will listen to it thank you let's take care